Hi and welcome to Terra Tortoise Climate Podcast. Focusing on developing countries, we hope to cover a range of issues relating to climate change, biodiversity, development and many more. Today's guest is Nilima Valangi. Nilima is a national award-winning photographer and well-published travel writer. For the past one year, she has been researching and covering the climate crisis for news media and other forms. She is currently working on a feature-length documentary film tentatively titled The Human Cost of Climate Crisis Set in Nepal, due to be released by December 2020. She was recently featured by India Climate Collaborative as one of the 40 young leaders to raise awareness and strengthen commitments with their solutions on climate and development. She's also working on an independent newsletter titled Climate Matters. She continues to research and report on mainstream publications on the climate crisis with a special focus on the Himalayas in South Asia. I am Kirti Manyan and I'll be your host for today. Hi Nilma, welcome to our show. We're delighted to have you with us. I'm going to get started by asking you this. Before we learn more about your climate journey, it would be great to hear some stories about your travels as well. You're an incredible photographer and writer. Can you articulate your experiences in a couple of places that left you spellbound, especially if they were brushes with nature? Yeah, so thank you for having me on the show, first of all. I'm really glad to be a part of this and talk to you about climate change in general. So to answer this question, yeah, so I've been traveling for nearly a decade now and all that time spent in the mountains and nature has definitely played a very huge part in shaping my character and my worldview today. My most memorable incidents have always been, you know, experiences that remind me of the stark beauty of the wilderness of our world. So let's say uh, something like spotting a snow leopard on a faraway ridge or walking between high mountain passes of Himalayas and Uttarakhand with no one else in sight for like days together. So these are kind of experiences that I uh, chase and that's been my life for the past 10 years, I would say. And one of the last places that I went before the pandemic brought everything to a standstill was New Zealand. So in New Zealand, the diversity of landscapes totally blew my mind. I was honestly not expecting that but I think that's also the charm of travel in its ability to surprise you. So from strange Californian redwood forest to geysers which are very rare in southern hemisphere and phenomenal glacial landscapes in the southern Alps I feel especially grateful for such encounters that not only entertain you and enthrall you but also inform you on the geological wonders of our planet. And mostly experiences like that. So because uh, everything has come to a standstill after, I think this is what the New Zealand journey is what is fresh in my mind right now and which I keep <laughs> going back to during the pandemic. Yeah, I know you're traveling a lot. You know, this goes on to my next question also in some way. Do you think that because you stopped traveling, climate became important or was it always there kind of at the forefront of your mind? And we'd love to know when did this climate journey get started? And please do tell us more about your newsletter, Climate Matters, as well. I can't say for sure that because I'm not traveling, I've shifted focus to climate change. I think this had already happened last year. Because uh, even when I was in New Zealand, we visited this Tasman Glacier in South Island, which is New Zealand's largest glacier. And it's retreating at a record speed. So at that point, I already had some idea about climate change in general. As in all of us are aware of climate change, but you know, unless we get to the specifics, it doesn't really become threatening. So until 
let's say 2019, I knew something called climate change is happening. It's a problem. But, you know, I was not extremely bothered about it. And I didn't feel like, okay, this is like a major existential threat or something like that. So I, I had no such feelings towards this crisis at that point. But once I slowly started gathering clues here and there through my travels, that's when I started connecting the dots. So last year, again, when I was in New Zealand, we visited this glacier, which was retreating at such a speed and talking to people there. And, you know, they were giving some information on why this is a problem. But again, not like a very specific overview of the whole issue, but, you know, it was part of a problem. And that's how slowly I began realizing that this is a much bigger problem than we know. As in, in public awareness, not from what scientists know. Scientists already know about all this and they've been trying to tell warnings about it, but the public awareness and the political leadership does not consider it a problem at all with the required urgency. So maybe yeah, last year was when I was like slowly getting into this already. And I felt like at that point, it also made a natural progression from my life as a nomad for like so many years to maybe start working on something more concrete. Also, yeah, the concern for climate change was also escalating because of my personal experiences. Mm. Both of these put together is when I decided like, yeah, maybe I should focus on climate change and not just travel anymore. So in a way, I'll have to say maybe I got lucky that I made this decision before the pandemic happened because otherwise I think I would have been full of resentment that I'm not able to travel. But <laughs> I had actually made this decision last year, even before all of this happened, that, you know, that I'm, I'm going to stop and maybe focus on uh, climate change communication for a while. So, yeah, that's how it all started. Your newsletter. I'd love to know how that got into place and what has the response kind of been? Right. So if I have to, uh, you know, give a timeline, it all started just over a year ago from today, actually. And that's when I had come back from my trips in the Himalayas in New Zealand. And I saw this glacier smelting and all that stuff. And that's when I finally realized like, okay, this is something that everyone needs to be concerned about. But when I wanted to talk about it to people, I realized many people don't understand what climate change is or how big an issue it is. And I myself was very limited in my vocabulary and understanding to like say why this is a problem. I had this gut feeling that, or some kind of understanding because you just agree what the scientists say. You're not, you're not going to uh, disagree with what they're saying or like find faults in their arguments. And the climate, uh, scientists' consensus is like very clear that climate change is happening and it's happening rapidly. Mm. But beyond that, there was no way for me to talk about it. If I wanted to like talk to someone and say like, listen, climate change is a problem. I realized I don't have the understanding or the vocabulary to even like have simple conversations. So that's when I decided I'll read up myself and I thought I'll just start having basic conversations on social media. So this was not a year long plan at that point. I just thought if I'm concerned about it, if no one else is talking about it, I might as well just start talking about it. But yeah, a year later, that simple idea has grown into something very big and a whole new career path for me and has brought on a lot of learning and opportunities as well. So one of the developments I'm really excited about is this project called Climate Matters, my newsletter, where I help people make sense of this planetary crisis, where I cover the science, the social and all other aspects of climate change in very simple and easy to understand terminology. So it's a 100% reader funded publication at the moment which has been very encouraging because I was not sure if people want to read something like this, first of all, 
because it's all depressing news if you think about climate change. There's really not a lot of good news that you can give or hopeful news that you can give. At this point, it's all about, listen, this is happening and we have to start working towards it. So that is most of climate coverage, if you see currently. So I was not sure if people will be willing to read something like this and even fund something like this. But yeah, the response has been very encouraging and I'm very excited to see where it goes. Because in the process of writing articles to simplify climate change, even my understanding has like gone through the roof from compared to, let's say, what it was one year ago. So I think it's a win-win for everyone, for me and the audience. <laughs> and what about your documentary, The Human Cost of Climate Crisis? What prompted you to get that going and what stage is it at now currently? So I'm collaborating with a filmmaker, Deej Phillips to uh, make a feature-length documentary film on the human cost of climate crisis set in Nepal. And in this documentary, we try to portray how global warming is messing with our hydrological system and how it is affecting communities already. And we chose to focus on emotional, uh, character-driven narratives, filmed and produced in a cinematic style, so we can draw the audience in through beautiful frames that tell a haunting story and then present the whole context around climate change. Otherwise, if it's all just science or things like that, it's, it's really not very engaging to begin with. So my co-producer Deej and I, we both felt like our skills could be put to good use to raise awareness about climate change. And both of us are personally invested in this. And we both also had the time and intention to see this through. So that's how we decided to collaborate. And it's been a great experience so far. Despite the pandemic throwing us a huge curveball and dis- delaying the production schedule by a couple of months, we are finally back on track and a lot of work is going on right now. And we're targeting to have the film by December 2020. And how are you planning to release the film? Can I ask? We don't have any concrete plans yet. So there are several avenues. Try to get it optioned by any of the news channels or work with some media company. So yeah, I'm still investigating that. So that will also happen in the next uh, couple of months. Ultimate aim would be like, we'll find an avenue which has a maximum uh, reach. So it is not just going to be something, some kind of a vanity project where we want to get our names out. So the ultimate goal would be that, you know, pick a medium distribution channel, which will give us maximum audience and reach. The whole point of it is to make, uh, raise awareness on climate change. So if it just goes to like a small audience, then it's pretty much useless. So yeah, so I'm evaluating what are all the best options that we have. And let's see what comes of it. Good luck with that. We look forward to seeing it as well. Can you talk more about being featured by India Climate Collaborative as one of their 40 young leaders to raise awareness about climate change? What work did you do and what were your learnings? For someone who just randomly started working on climate change communication very recently, I was delighted to have that validation. But if you think about it, it's also kind of unfortunate in the sense that there are not many people talking about climate change in the public sphere in India yet, which is a very big problem because India as a country is highly vulnerable to climate hazards and the public and policymakers need to discuss this openly so we can come up with a plan to you know, deal with the climate impacts. So yeah, it was both good and uh, bad in a way, if we consider the overall implications. And they were just trying to like pick some people who are working on climate change Uh, uh, in India, in climate change space. So they were just highlighting 40 people who are doing something about it in whatever way. So I spoke about communication because my entire work is uh, based on uh, raising awareness. But there were others who were like working on solutions like waste management or uh, energy transition or 
things like that. So it's just a collection of people highlighting the work that they're doing. Okay, got it. So I want to talk about climate change in India. And you've said this now, people don't pay attention. And this is a topic that really demands our attention. What do you think are the key issues that we are being faced with? And should we kind of look at always the big picture or should we try and seek nuances within issues? Where should our focus be? So I feel India is at a unique disadvantage when it comes to climate change. And that is because of our extremely diverse geography and demographics. We are going to face issues with everything from sea level rise to food insecurity to glacial retreat, extreme rainfall, intense cyclonic activity and widespread heat waves. I mean, we have all the geographies. So we're going to be pounded with all these concurrent disasters at once. It's like we've won the climate change bingo card. And we have to deal with all of these environmental disruptions while still trying to eradicate poverty among millions of our people. So we have an extremely tough challenge ahead of us and we need a whole lot of vision, courage, imagination and innovation if we are to come up with ways to adapt to climate change. And this being a global problem with highly localized consequences, we cannot afford to ignore one in favor of the other. So we'll always have to keep one eye on the big picture that is reducing overall global emissions and the other one on how to adapt to the local impacts with minimum loss. I like this mention you said India's one that climate bingo card. That does not sound good at all, Nilima. I know. When you say bingo, right, that means you won the lottery. <laughs> but in this context, unfortunately, you know, I've seen and read enough about this to understand that always the vulnerable populace that gets affected, right? If you have privilege, you can get by at some level, right? But I mean, it's right. always vulnerable populace that always gets affected. What do you think about women being disproportionately affected by climate change? I've asked this question before, but I'd love to hear if you have any solutions in mind. So one of the things that we should understand about climate change is that it exacerbates all the existing flaws in our society. So women will be disproportionately affected by climate change because we haven't achieved gender parity yet. And their problems and issues will continue to get worse with escalating climate impacts. It will become that much harder to close the gap as rising inequality and loss of opportunities, both fueled by climate change, push more and more women away from equality and development. So to begin with, I think considering impacts of climate change in every development plan would be one way to deal with this. Women's advancement is uh, not immune to climate risks and a plan that takes into account how disruptions such as uh, flooding or drought or water stress would uniquely and negatively impact women is a good place to start. But, you know, like many people have already said before, there is no single solution to climate change. I think the only thing that we can do about it is just consider all of its implications in every group's livelihood. So it's, it's not just women, even poor people, if you see, between economic sections, there's like one section which is more vulnerable to climate impacts than the other. Of course, in the end, it'll come for all of us, but some people are at a better position to handle this. So I think the same is also true with women. It's not like uh, women have a specific disadvantage, but it's just that they're already vulnerable. So it makes that vulnerability even more pronounced. This is so true. This is so very true. I'm going to move away from this and look at social media and how you've talked about climate grief on Instagram, for instance. I'm curious to how the reception has been. Have people been accepting of you? Has it been that they think in their mind, suddenly you're writing about climate change? Has that been a thing? Or is, are they more accepting of you because you have been talking about it, about climate change in that sense? 
So I ended up finding the resistance from people following me when I started talking about climate change, because that's also been kind of my personality that I don't talk about travel all the time. It's yeah. always something that is adjacent. So it's like, if I see inequality in travel, then inequality features very highly in all the posts that I put up on Instagram, or if it's like some kind of environmental destruction, then that also features not in a very serious way, but I think that's consistently been my personality that, you know, I don't talk about just for travel's sake. So it's always, uh, it brings some of the other issues, but not in depth. So it was not a very big shift when I said, I'm going to talk about climate change, because at that point, they were already used to this kind of a personality where she does not talk about one thing exclusively, but it's like a mix of different issues. And yeah, so there was, there was no resistance. Definitely the response has been like super encouraging and everything that has happened so far has happened because of the response that I got from those initial posts where people were really open to having these discussions and, you know, just trying to understand this and even acknowledging this as a problem. So definitely the response has been very encouraging. Do you think people get visual fatigue? Like when you look at Instagram and for instance, in your case is different, but people just see a constantly, you, you get that, you know, a typical image people have, right? Polar bear, starving polar bear somewhere, right? Do you think people kind of get set up? Like, why is it always floods? Why is it always images like that are being thrown at people in that sense? I wouldn't say it is visual fatigue as such. That's definitely a failure of media to have a better strategy to like talk about climate change. So they were just focused on some things which made it kind of repetitive and disconnected from reality. But the fatigue is real. And I think it's not about what images they're seeing, but uh, I would say it's in terms of uh, constantly seeing only impacts and no solutions. With climate change, there are no straightforward solutions, which makes it even more challenging to engage with the problem consistently. Like even if you're worried about it and you're concerned about it, after a while you feel like, there is literally nothing that you can do because when you understand the problem, it probably feels like, you know, it's just totally out of our hands, at least out of our individual hands. So then you're left with this feeling of helplessness and uh, despair. So I think that's where the fatigue comes from. So if we have more transparent discussions on what is causing the problem, why is it so difficult to solve for climate change and complete uncertain, twisted, untrodden path we have ahead of us, if we discuss more about these things, then I think it may help allaying some of that fatigue. I mean, we're, we're in unprecedented times in uncharted waters. So all of us have to simply embrace the uncertainty and work with that. But if you don't acknowledge that uncertainty, then it feels like you're just showing impacts which are all scary, but you know, there's like nothing you can do about it. There's no way even to like make sense of these feelings. So that definitely causes the fatigue, which brings me to the point about climate grief that you asked. Yeah. So I think climate grief is like a double-edged sword. Talking about climate grief is like kind of a double-edged sword for me, at least. On one hand, people who have been in the throes of climate or ecological grief already, they found solidarity and shared comfort when I also started talking about it openly. On the other hand, there were several others who have been introduced to this feeling only through my posts or maybe recognize this is what they were feeling after I started talking about it. And they're now in a situation where they're unable to deal with this inescapable, ever-present fear and concern for future. And I personally believe there's no escaping climate grief anymore because we have fundamentally altered the climate and we are going to face the consequences in any case. 
So we might as well learn to live with it by learning to accepting the reality and managing the grief. And in that context, like when you talk on social media, I've been reading your newsletter, so I know how you present that in newsletters. But on social media, what do you think is like the grim reality kind of being thrown at you? What's the best way to deal with on social media at least? I would say this, just embrace the uncertainty and the grief and do not hide it because there is no solution to this at this point. I mean, there are pathways to reach there, but the implementation is not going to be straightforward and it will need a lot of experimentation. It will need a lot of uh, innovations. It will need a lot of reconfiguring the existing systems. So there's a lot of uncertainty involved in just trying to deal with the situation. So I think it would just be best if we just present it as it is, instead of thinking like the audience is incapable of making sense of this kind of difficult emotions. Because by hiding the scale of the crisis and the urgency of the crisis and the challenge of it all, I don't think we're doing anyone any favor. We are, we are just giving false hope, which I think is very wrong because right now we are in a very bad situation. And I think we need to just acknowledge that we are in this bad situation and it's going to be a challenge ahead of us. I think honesty is the best way. Right. Okay. And in this context, what do you think about the quality of the climate change narrative that's reported in Indian media? I'm just curious to know, like, what do you think Indian audiences need to understand much better about climate change? And do you think it's a personal touch that will make them realize it could happen to me? What would you like to change about it? I would say climate change coverage in Indian media is non-existent. It's not right. there. So everything that I've learned, I've learned from uh, Twitter, which is a great platform because all these scientists keep talking about it. And I've, I think yeah, I, most of what I've learned is from there. Once I see their conversations, I get some bits and parts and then, you know, then I come back and read more on my own from the international organizations who are working on climate change. So it, it hasn't been easy to like, learn all of this on my own as someone who's not coming from an academic background working on climate change. If, as a journalist, I think it was a very steep learning curve for me. And I learned all of it only from the international media and the international scientist community. So then extrapolating what that means for India became a little bit of a challenge because in India, we don't have this kind of coverage at all. So it was like some papers here, some papers there. And it was not easy. So I would say, yeah, we don't have proper climate change coverage in India at all. We don't have any newspaper that has a climate change beat. We don't have a famous climate change journalist. So yeah, right now I would say it's non-existent. But I will say that there are some specialized publications like uh, Down to Earth or Mongabe or Third Pole that do a little bit of reporting on climate change, but that's not for a general audience or for general awareness. So they do good work if we consider that they are covering climate change. So that is good. But the problem in covering climate change is that it's both a global and a local problem at once. So most stories uh, tend to cover the localized impacts, which do not mean much unless they're connected to the big picture. And unless we have a clear idea of the big picture, it is impossible to comprehend the scale and urgency of the crisis. So a glacier melting in itself might not mean much for the whole world or, you know, for even us as a country, if a glacier is melting in Himalayas, it, it really does not mean much for us here. But what does it mean for us that majority of glaciers are melting worldwide and how that will affect freshwater availability for millions of people? 
a cyclone hitting a coast might seem like a standalone event but what does it mean for us when cyclones are forming rapidly intensifying suddenly and battering coasts much more than they used to before and this is happening worldwide again so the fundamental idea behind any good storytelling practice is to focus on a single character event or community so we are able to generate empathy in the audience mm. but that tenet fails us miserably when it comes to climate change coverage because a story where hundreds to millions of people are affected is news and not an emotional story that stays with you on a personal level but if we focus on one person or community then it is seen as an individual tragedy and not a global problem so the challenge then is in covering climate crisis that we have to tell stories that are intimate highlighting the threat of climate change and then connect it all with the global roots of the problem so this is what i'd like to see a lot more of so if if you see some one farmer suffering somewhere it you feel like it's an individual tragedy or something but you know it still has to be connected to like why this is happening and what are the global causes that are causing these impacts to this farmer and how it affects all of us even storytelling wise it's a very difficult challenge which is why yeah i think there's been not much progress on coverage in india you explained it really well and sounds so complex at the same time right like you're talking about something as simple as how do we get people to relate to the people that are being talked about in the story and at the same time understand that there are is that things that could happen very well to you as well as a person right so i think you've explained really really well i want to talk about climate activism and greta thunberg herself has said that school threats have achieved nothing greenhouse gas emissions have risen by 4% since 2015 Do you think informed climate activism will or should become a thing in India and do you feel this kind of activism can actually have an impact Definitely so like i said before india being highly vulnerable to climate hazards we need a lot more climate activism so that the current policy recommendations will take into account the future implications of climate risks we cannot randomly invest in coal or destroy ecosystems without considering how these will become a problem for current and future generations Unfortunately that vision seems entirely missing in our current leadership and I think youth is in a good position morally and practically to demand that from the government so yeah I'm really happy to see I mean it's a very nascent movement at this point but I'm happy to see it just start and I'm looking forward to where it leads to because unless the public gets involved the governments will not change anything So I think I mean that's how our democracy fundamentally works too right so you tell them what you want so unless we tell them this is what we want we're not going to see the changes that we want so yeah definitely we need a lot more climate activism in India and I also believe it will have an impact because if you see the monumental shift that happened between last year and this year on how the entire world perceived climate change it's entirely because of the youth climate movement globally yeah and they were also able to get a lot of policy uh, reforms in their countries so definitely there is a lot of potential and yeah we need to see a lot more activism for sure in india because yeah we are going to be battered by climate impacts left right center yeah as you called it your your bingo card oh my god can you imagine i'm sorry i really cannot get over that <laughs> that perfectly defines our situation it really does so now to my last question you've said you don't want to sugarcoat the apocalypse that's happening right now does anything we do matter at all 
And lastly, if you still think we can do something about the climate crisis, what is your call of action to our listeners? Of course, it matters what we do. We created the problem, so it is also within our ability to solve this problem if we want to. But we need to understand that tackling climate change is not an individual problem to be solved on a personal level. It is a collective responsibility. If the entire discourse is based on taking things away from people and uh, policing their choices, we're not going to make much progress. But if we collectively demand for the systems to change so that people can live a sustainable, low-carbon lifestyle without destroying the planet, that would be how we can affect a positive change. For example, heat is going to be a huge problem for us in the coming years. I mean, it already is, but obviously a lot more people, they'll be facing these heat waves and they'll also possibly have uh, economic independence to actually afford an AC because, yeah, we're trying to raise all these people out of poverty. So then if we ask people not to have air conditioning to save the planet, that is a counterintuitive solution. That is not going to work. But let's say if the industry develops energy-efficient devices, and then it is easier for people to simply adapt to these low-carbon alternatives. Same with vehicular emissions. If we are asking people to give up personal vehicles without providing good public transportation alternatives, that is going to backfire as well. So this is where the challenge lies in reimagining how we live without sacrificing our development or others' rights and still reduce our overall emissions rapidly. Yeah, I mean, this is a wild problem, but it is what it is and we are stuck with it. So uh, now we need to think of how we can collectively address these challenges without leaving anyone behind. Oh, I like that thought a lot. I like the thought of first collectively asking for solutions and second about not leaving people behind because that always inevitably does tend to happen. So I right. love both lines of thought. Thank you so much, Nilema. I've had a lovely time talking to you and I'm, I'm sure our listeners have learned a whole lot as well. So thank you very much for making that time. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Kirti. I had a really great time talking about all of this too.